What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. I go by the name of Kyle Dabra. My name is Kevin Valentin. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy day. Today, Kyle, we got a, a lot of NFL news to report and talk about. What, 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 what do we got, man? The list is endless, it seems like. Yeah, so just to let everybody know, today is the first day of NFL free agency where deals are getting landed left and right. And we've seen a lot of big names coming off the board. So just to kind of give you guys a rundown of some of the notable players off the board. We've got Shaq Barrett, one of the premier pass rushers for free agency this year, has re-signed with the Bucks. We also have Yannick Ngakwe, another premier pass rusher. He signed with the Las Vegas Raiders. And also Matt Judon signed with the Patriots. I believe he signed for a four-year deal. And just to kind of really dive into the Patriots, the Patriots had an amazing day when it came – to free agency today they signed some big names across the board in free agency so like i mentioned they did sign matt judon they also signed tight end john smith they signed cornerback jalen mills formerly of the philadelphia eagles and they also signed nelson aguilar formerly of the las vegas raiders to a two-year 26 million dollar deal and then just to kind of throw some other names out there jason verrett did re-sign with the 49ers you had john J- johnson the third he signed with the Browns and then Leonard Floyd, also a big pass rusher in free agency this year, just re-signed with the Rams. And it's just kind of a lot of these names are being talked about as we speak. I imagine as we record throughout the episode, there will be more names dropping about signing three to four year deal extensions or signing three to four year deals with new teams. But Kev, let me just get your initial reaction or just your initial take on the news uh, across the board when it comes to free agency so far today? I mean, if I'm being completely honest with everybody, it's it's been a crazy day. Like Pat McAfee said it a, a couple of weeks ago, like we talked about, it was massacre in terms of clearing cap space and now signing people to all these deals. Um, I got to give a quick shout out to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, I, I, in my mind, did not see this possible to basically reload their entire team and bring them back for another run. And not only that, they extended Tom for another year. They found a way to get their their core linebackers back in action together. Obviously, Devin White's going to be another big contract next season. But for the relative most part, outside of Rob Gronkowski, the entire roster is pretty much coming back. And that took a lot to not only restructure those deals and, and make sure that you brought back everybody that you needed to, but everybody's happy. People were willing to take pay cuts to come back because they know that there's something special. And Tom took a cut. Mike Evans took a cut. It's insane. The willingness we talked about it a few weeks, even before I moved a lot of these players at such, at such a prime age in their career, they just kind of want to chase the bag. And in this case, they ended up, you know, still making some good money and they're still staying on this, on this incredible team. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa goes on another Super Bowl run, but like I said, shout out to the Bucks GM and owner. They, they really got it done. And they made sure that they, they're, they're poised for another championship run. And then right after that, uh, I know we talked about it earlier today, uh, the whole New England Patriots organization, like they, I don't know if last year they took a year off or they were just kind of working through their problems, but Cam Newton getting re-signed for $14 million in the middle of the week was, or, or last week was kind of crazy. Uh, obviously them going out and signing Jonu Smith to give him another weapon to go get him, you know, uh, Nelson Aguilar, a, a known speedster who had some drop problems out there in Philly, but had a revitalized season last year in Vegas. So, I mean, Cam's got weapons on the defensive side of the ball. They reloaded, you know what I mean? They went out there and they got uh, Judon. They got Jalen Mills. Obviously that means Stephon Gilmore is definitely more than likely on the way out going to be traded. So who knows what they get back in terms of capital for him. So um, I got winners of free agency thus far within the first 12 hours or within the first six and a half hours free agency started at 12. Um, I got the Tampa Bay Bucks bringing back their squad, and then I got the New England Patriots at a really close second for, for not only loading up the offensive struggles that they needed to for Cam, but to also go out there and sign some defensive players. Because remember, you guys had some players that opted out due to COVID, so you're going to get players back, and you've got some prime free agents coming into the building. So I think I don't think New England's done necessarily. I think this year will give Cam a, a full offseason to work out with the team, and you know he already knows how it works in the off in the. Uh, in the locker room and how it works in the building. So I think that the Patriots are poised as of right this second to make a, a, a good push to make a, to make a playoff run. Yeah. It, 
I would tend to agree with you when it comes to the winners of just day one of free agency. Half of day one, not even a full day. It's I crazy. know. It's just like like I mentioned, there are going to be new reports coming out about new players getting signed to contracts while we record. But just based off of where we stand currently at 645 in the afternoon right now, I would definitely say that right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers look to be primed, like you mentioned, for another Super Bowl run. If you're able to retain Shaq Barrett for not only just the rest of Tom's time in Tampa, but you sign him for a four-year deal, $72 million, I believe half of his contract was guaranteed. Look, I think the reason why he ended up signing that deal with Tampa and not going elsewhere was I think with Tampa, they're in a win-now mode. They got Tom for probably maybe the next two, maybe three years, just dependent on how he plays. And I think by and large, I think most of the players that were on that Super Bowl team last year have bought in to just the culture change that Brady has brought to the team. And I think as long as they keep winning, I think it's going to be able to keep those guys there as long as Tom keeps that team winning. I think right now, Tampa looks to be like the favorite coming out of the NFC right now, just off the fact that they were able to keep most of their core together. They were able to franchise tag Chris Godwin last week. They got Shaq Barrett. Now we'll, we'll see what happens when it comes to the Namikin Sue and uh, Rob Gronkowski, but they were able to resign. Um, what was his name? Uh, Levante David. Levante David. That was a big signing, even though we both thought that he would resign with Tampa. Just, all in all, I think the fact that Tampa was able to keep their core guys together from that Super Bowl run last year was pivotal for them. So you have to give, I believe it's Jason Light. He's the GM for the Tampa Bay Bucks. You got to give him a lot of credit for being for being able to bring these guys back into the fold going into next year. So there's, if you're Tampa, if you're a Tampa fan right now, you got to be excited with where this team is heading going into next season. And then just to kind of piggyback off of the point that you made with the Patriots, Man, they opened up the books today. They opened up those paychecks, and, I mean, they're giving out money left and right, man. It's been a couple years since I've seen New England really put out a lot of money in free agency. The last time they could really think that New England really spent this amount of capital in the offseason was back in 2017 when they were able to bring in some really big free agents for them. Stephon Gilmore got signed in 2017. They also signed, I believe, Rex Burkhead and Chris Hogan. So, and not only that, they traded for Brandon Cooks that offseason as well. So they definitely moved some capital back then. And I think in this year, it's more of the same back compared to a couple of years ago. Nelson Aguilar, I think he's going to be a solid receiver for them as long as he's able to separate. That's really the main issue when it comes to New England receivers is their inability to separate from defenders. But I like the signing of John New Smith. I remember you and I had talked about that possibility of Smith going to New England a couple of weeks ago Ew. when um, when the, when Tennessee wasn't going to resign him or franchise tag him. But I think it does give them a better tight end option than what they currently have on the roster when it comes to tight ends. And then I'll tell you this, they went pretty big on defense today. The signing of Jalen oh, yeah. Mills, I think that pretty much ensures, it basically tells me that Stephon Gilmore is going to be out the door this offseason, and I think it's going to be via trade. I think we'll probably see that trade probably come to fruition probably within the next couple of days or maybe the next couple of weeks or so. And then I think also one of the more underrated signings I thought was Devon Gacha. I think the last time he was playing in Miami this past season. So it does give them another pass rusher <laughs> alongside Matt Judon and Dietrich Wise. All those guys got signed to new deals with the Patriots today. So I think New England's pass rush next year, I think is going to be stout just because you got Dietrich Wise and Matt Judon on the ends. You got Devon Godshot and you got Adam Butler. It's going to be a decent core moving forward going into the next season. So I'm really excited to see what New England's pass rush is going to bring to the table next year. But I will say one of the more underrated signings of today, and I forgot to mention it at the top of the episode, Joe Tooney going to the Chiefs. A big, 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 big signing because it addresses some of the offensive line concerns that Kansas City was dealing with, specifically in the Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes was running for his life in that game against the Bucs. Signed into a five-year deal, 
$80 million gives them a solid piece at that guard spot. They still have to work out some of the tackle issues after Schwartz and Eric Fisher were cut. And I imagine they'll probably do that within the next couple of days in free agency or in the draft in the next couple. That'll actually be in a couple of weeks from now. I believe the mm-hmm. draft takes place in April. So, and I saw the tweet from Patrick Mahomes. He had a nice smiley face emoji when it came to the news of Joe Tooney going to the Chiefs. So I think the Chiefs definitely got a solid piece to work with for the offensive line there. It's also a big pickup for them. And probably just one more guy that I'll mention, uh, Aaron Jones, going back to the Packers. Signed a a four-year deal. I believe it was um, $58 million for the total contract. I think just having him there, having stability in that backfield is going to be key just because the Packers can't rely too much on Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Jones has been one of the most reliable backs that Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense has had in the last decade or so. So being able to retain him, I thought was key. They are letting Jamal Williams go. He put up an Instagram story today. A goodbye. Saying yeah. that he's he's going to be out of Green Bay. So he'll be looking for a new team very soon. But all in all, it's been a crazy day so far. And let me ask you this. There's still some big names on the board. We still got Kenny Galladay on the board. We still got Curtis Samuel on the board. Just to mention some of the wide receivers out there. Who do you think are some other potential free agents that we're going to see get signed fairly quickly. Well, breaking from Shefty as of four minutes ago, Rob runs it back. Rob Gronkowski signed a one-year deal, $10 million with the Bucks, And then Ronald Darby got a three-year deal for $30 million to go to the Broncos. So Tampa did, in fact, reload almost entirely because everybody's back. Other than Leonard Fournette. We're still in question to see what's going on there. And, and Sue. Um, and Sue. So, I mean, free agents that are still available that I'd like to see signed. I mean, I don't necessarily know offhand. I know Carl Lawson's still out there. I know that Carlos Dunlap is still out there. You know, there's still some solid pass rushers, but Dupree's still available. Um, I know that Ian Rappaport was talking earlier today, something about his market is very high. And a lot of people are looking to, to sign the, the, uh, the linebacker from Pittsburgh, even though he tore his ACL. Obviously, T.Y. Hilton's still available. Some good cornerbacks. Xavier Rhodes are still available. So, I mean, like I said, there's just too many names to name. I am just going to be frank and be very honest and say that I'm upset that the Colts have not made not one move with us being a top five team in available cap space to spend. We have not made any moves whatsoever. I've read some multiple reports saying that T.Y. was talking to Chris Ballard and Ballard said something along the lines of, can you just do us, can you just give us the respect to let us know if, you know, if we can match an offer that you get, but I'm pretty sure he had a similar conversation with a lot of our free agents. Like, Hey, you know, we want to bring you back, but you know, we want to give you guys the opportunity to go out there and, you know, feed your families and take care of yourselves. So I, I from what I was reading all off season prior to today was the Colts were going to make a splash today and try to make a move at a big free agent pass rusher or a big time cornerback. And none of those moves were made. And in regards to Kenny Galladay, I know that he met with the Giants today. So I know for a fact that I, that's my prediction for him to land. Uh, I think that, that I still stand by that would be a great uh, asset for Daniel Jones' development. But, I mean, it, it, it's just crazy. I mean, we got we got rumors saying that Trent Williams is be, might be getting looked at by Chicago. And obviously we all thought that Chicago was still focused on Deshaun Watson. But then we keep hearing rumors about uh, – the head coach of the Houston Texans and the GM saying just Deshaun's not leaving. It doesn't matter. So, I mean, we're just getting more and more inclination of is Deshaun willing to hold out? Is he not? Are free agents going to continue to go there? I don't know. I know that they actually just traded uh, merciless. Was was that the linebacker? They traded to the dolphins. I think it was they like, Bernard, their, it was like Bernard McKinney. I think that was one of the oh, guys. McKinney, was, McKinney. Yeah, yeah. They traded McKinney to the dolphins. So, I mean, like, moves are happening in Houston. Obviously, they signed Mark Ingram to a one-year deal, and they brought back David Johnson. So, I mean, like, their backfield is okay, I guess. I mean, you have two injury pro running backs there. But uh, let me – let me let me with the Texans, it was uh, – they traded for Shaq Lawson. Oh, they – They traded they for traded Shaq. They for traded, Shaq, okay. Yeah, they traded for Shaq Lawson from Miami. Got it. All right, I got you. So, I mean, like I said, it's it's a very complicated process. I really thought that – you know, like I said, the Colts were going to be doing something, but 
we just had to play it out, man. There's a lot of teams out there that are looking for talent, a lot of teams that need talent that's available. We all know that there's plenty of talent out there. Obviously, last episode we talked about a few names that we had on the board, but the list almost seems endless of talent out there. So I don't know, man. We're just we're kind of waiting. We got to wait it out at this point. It's like I said, it's just it's these deals are being updated by Shefty or Ian Rappaport basically on a minute-by-minute basis. It's just the names have just been flying off the board. We'll definitely be interested to see what comes and just to kind of give you guys an update. The Patriots also did sign Kendrick Bourne. He was a wide receiver, a wide receiver formerly of San Francisco. And just to kind of give you the, the deal, they have the numbers out already for him. So he got a three-year deal for $22.5 million. So on average, he's making around $7.5 million a year. Yeah, and Gakwe got two twenty six, so he's getting thirteen a year. I, I, shout out to uh, Drew Rosenhaus and getting Rob Word, that, bro. That one year deal for ten mil. Word. Shout out to, shout out to Drew Rosenhaus, and I, I do want to make this this mention uh, about Drew Rosenhaus today, simply because a lot of his agent, a lot of his, a lot of players clients. that are are yeah, clients. That's a better way of saying it. That Patriot Drew Rosenhaus connection was on fire today because all of the guys, by and large, that were signed by New England today were Drew Rosenhaus clients. And I think even Drew Rosenhaus mentioned that, like, look, that Rosenhaus and the Patriots have had a pretty solid relationship with the clients that Rosenhaus has had over the years. And I think you just saw the you just saw that come to reality today. Just the fact that look, New England needed to retool pretty much most of their offense simply because last year their offense was so anemic. And not only that defensively, they really did bolster their defense compared to last year. And their defense wasn't terrible last year, but really those COVID opt-outs did hurt them in the long run when you look back to last season. So just really, you got to give a lot of credit to Drew Rosenhaus today because really he has been the main agent in the fold, getting these guys some pretty solid deals today across the board. 100%. It's just, I, it's weird to know that a specific agent himself was the ironclad of like all of these deals. Like he basically was on the phone with Bill Belichick all, I hope they had lunch together because they were probably talking all fucking day. Like Mm -hmm. legit, we're talking report deal after deal after deal. All of his clients probably signed within hours or minutes apart from each other. So he was literally probably finishing up one and he was probably, you know, having a little lunch or whatever. And he was like, Oh, I got another one for you. Oh, Bill, might as well make this a conference. I got, I got another one for you. Like it's, it's just incredible. The power that these agents have and the rapport they have with these organizations because they're constantly speaking with them upon different clients. So it's just, it's insane to know that he's single-handedly responsible for like, I don't know, four or five of the players that signed with the Patriots today. And it's just, it's just eye opening to show like, you know, who, you know, really matters. And the connections that you build in this, in this league is just, it's, it's incredible. So shout out to Drew, big time. Oh, speaking of Drew, uh, Drew Brees announced his retirement today, guys. That's a big thing. Uh, he finally walks away from the city of New Orleans after 15 seasons. Yeah. Um, and that ongoing debate of who's going to be the starting quarterback now kind of officially begins. I don't know if you saw. Um, they gave this man four years, $140 million. There's a lot of stipulation the, the, behind it, guys. This, it's the restructure. Yeah, and the thing is, like, really, the these voidable contracts are really starting to become a focal point in these, in the yeah. specifics of these contracts. Taysom Hill, I can't, I couldn't remember his name. Yeah, and like to me, listen, I'm gonna be 100 percent honest. I don't, I don't know all the, the nuances and the details when it comes to contracts. When you really start getting into the weeds of these contracts, either. But look, I, I know that giving Taysom those four years and you're basically giving him like 35 million a year dude. that's a lot now, that, that he would have to play out the life of the contract. And I'm not even sure that's even set in stone right now because I saw reports just from the last couple of days or so that the saints are still interested in keeping Jameis. Yeah. And, and then to me, all it ensures is that I think that there's going to be a major quarterback battle going into next season for the saints starting job at the quarterback position next year. And to me, I, I don't think Taysom is that guy. I think they just utilize him for so many different options on that offense. I think going with Jameis would actually seem like more of a stable guy to go with because 
it's pretty much all he's known throughout his whole football life, whether it was with Florida State, whether it was with Tampa, and now with New Orleans. Look, and obviously he has to change his turnover problem because that turnover, the, the amount of interceptions that he throws is a huge factor when it comes to him being a starter in this league. But like, if you put me in a situation where I got to pick between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, I'm picking Jameis solely off of the fact that he has more experience. And I don't think Taysom Hill is that is a true quarterback. He reminds me a lot of Tim Tebow, except I just don't see a lot of success with Taysom running the majority of the offense at the quarterback position. I think the way that they can use him in jet motions, the way that they can use him in maybe some, some read option plays. I think that'd be great, but they're going to only probably use him on maybe 10 to 15% of the snaps, not 85. So I think, no shot. I think moving forward, they got to get this worked out with Jameis because I, I don't know if they're going to go after anybody else. If they can't retain Jameis, I mean, they can maybe go after Mitchell Trubisky. It's just, I don't know. I would. I don't know if go, Sean Payne's going to be able to save that man's career. I, to be honest I, with you. And yeah, that may be that may be too tall of a task. But I think just as it stands right now, based off of the reports that I've seen, I think going with Jameis right now is probably the better option. And I, if they want to have a quarterback battle between Taysom and Jameis, I think, I think Jameis wins. Even though that last year, Taysom got the start over Jameis. Which was stupid, and it made no sense. But you know, Sean Payton for you. That's that's why that's why I don't want Jameis to go back there because they already said even if they do sign him, it's going to be a competition. Why do I have to compete with this guy? Like you already use him for I don't know the percentages of his actual usage, but it's like he's used on special teams. He's used as a quarterback. He's used as a tight end. He's used as a running back and the wild card. Like he does his skill set. Why am I competing with him? You saw when he had to actually drop back and throw the ball 25 plus times, he was not very good. So mm-hmm. I'm just frustrated for Jameis because if I'm him, I'm looking at them like, fuck you. I don't want to go back there to compete. Like I can go to a number of teams in this league because I have experience and because I know that I have the, the ability to start. I know that I'm a starting caliber quarterback. He may not play for a very good team. So he might try to look out for a payday or another, you know, kind of a one or two year prove it deal. But it's like, I'm not going to New Orleans. The, yes, the the enticingness of the situation that New Orleans is, of them being a very uh, competitive and dominant football team, and them still for the majority of what, what looks to be they've retained a lot of their roster that isn't Emmanuel Sanders and that isn't uh, and uh, Jared Cook. They still have Michael Thomas. They still have Alvin Kamara. So mm-hmm. it's like when you have two focal points like that, who wouldn't want to be the quarterback of this team? So I just, again, I, I, I get – Jameis's side of seeing like the potential that has that he has to stay with them is great but to go into another offseason where you know you're not even getting a start like, what if what if Taysom beats him out what if Jameis has a bet it's a it's a mindset for quarterbacks what if what if you know Jameis kind of gets in his own head and he doesn't produce it just depends if Jameis holds resentment towards Sean Payton and really the whole offensive coaching staff for putting Taysom in over him last year after Drew got his ribs basically destroyed halfway through the season or towards like the, the later half of this, the second half of the Phil, season. Philip Dorsett signs with the Jaguars. Yeah, whatever. I mean, he did, he did some things with New England, but outside of that, he's Poop. largely been a bust. Poop. Right of his, Poop. Right his NFL Waste player. of a first-round pick. Waste of a first-round pick. I'll never forgive you, Ryan Grigson, if you hear this. But we do have to talk a little bit about Drew Brees and just the impact and the legacy that he's had on – not only the New Orleans State, but he had a 20-year career. Most of his time was spent in New Orleans being the starter, starting quarterback for the New Orleans State. Just, I want to get your thoughts on just the career of Drew Brees and now that it has officially come to an end as he has retired from the NFL. So, I mean, from the beginning, obviously, all the way to the end, the end, class act, a gentleman, a father, you know what I'm saying, just – a great guy from what we see, obviously, we don't know him personally, but based off of all the things we've ever heard him talk about, all the things we've ever heard about him from other teammates, other players and people around the league, so respected, uh, of, uh, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time that we've ever seen, blessed to say that we grew up watching him. Um, 
the journey from San Diego to New Orleans was not an easy one. After he messed up his shoulder, everybody thought it was kind of over for him. You know, he was probably told he would never be the same. And what did he end up doing? Within a few years after signing with New Orleans, he goes to a Super Bowl and beats the Indianapolis Colts. And, you know, he does the famous, I'm taking my kids to Disney while he holds up his basically uh, toddler son. And, you know, obviously uh, carries the city of New Orleans through the entire saga with Irma. And I mean, not Irma, with Katrina. Katrina. Excuse me, Katrina. I'm sorry, Irma still messed me up internally in my head. Uh, So, I mean, what the man means off the field, obviously I can't begin to express because of his role in the community. Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, obviously the type of player that he was in the locker room, motivating and mentoring a lot of younger athletes and former players. But, you know, on the field, the guy that was just, electrifying like I mean this man literally lit it up almost every game he ever played and he played through some 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 injuries obviously we know this year he played through what looked to be the broken ribs the messed up shoulder the messed up foot so a warrior you know a gamer that a lot of people don't a lot of a lot of players nowadays would not play through those injuries they would kind of like they'd kind of bitch out and say you know I'm hurt I'd rather collect this check Drew was giving it everything he had every single game and you know, as much as I resent him for that Super Bowl loss that he gave us, uh, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And, uh, you know, he will be missed very much so in, in the game of football. And I know that, you know, he uh, he was an inspiration to a lot of people, an undersized guy coming out of Purdue, uh, career changing injury in the early stages of his career to overcome all the odds and then dominate and then win the hearts of an entire city of, of New Orleans is just it's incredible. And, you know, like I said, the, the, the game loses a, a big a big piece, but obviously NBC gained a great, great broadcaster. I mean, dude, you took the words right out of my mouth. Like, I really don't know what else to say about Drew Brees at this point. I, I'll, I'll talk about it from this perspective. And I think that you could relate to this. This is one of those, these last players that we grew up watching. Like when, when you talk about watching the NFL or just watching any sport at a young age, there's always guys that you're going to gravitate to because those are the first players that you have physically seen who just play at an at an elite level and drew Brees embodied that to the t he's basically one of the top passing quarterbacks we've ever seen in the game and mind you was undersized at his position i mean there were times where if you look at throughout his career when he's throwing those long balls, he has to like look over all of these offensive linemen who are probably somewhere between 6'3", at probably the smallest, to about 6'6", and was throwing dimes 30, 40, 50 yards down the field like it was nothing. His, he was a mo- like just the model of consistency from Drew Brees across the entire spectrum of his career. And mind you, going through different phases of his career – he was spectacular. And I know towards the end, they had some prime opportunities to at least compete for a Super Bowl. It just didn't work out. I, man, when I look at Drew Brees' career, I can't believe that he only won one Super Bowl. And that's not to his detriment. It's just, man, there were some really good years, especially towards the end, where they had a really good shot of winning the Super Bowl and they, they just had some bad breaks. You had a bad break, what happened in Minnesota with the Minneapolis Miracle that God awful, no pass interference call against the Rams. And Roby Coleman. Yeah, that, that was, was the worst. That was the worst no call I've ever seen. Period. And it's just, it's one of those things. We just look back at the fact that he never had an MVP too. He never had an MVP throughout his, his, in, the entirety of his career. It was just bonkers to me. I don't know how many times he threw for 5,000 yards in his career. I'd imagine it's probably a few times simply because Pretty much Drew Brees was running the whole show. They were just airing it out. And Sean Payton was basically running the show on offense. Just look at his career, man. He, like you said, he's a great father figure. He's a great role model for the league. And I think the league is going to miss his presence as a player. But I think as he steps into this next phase of his, just his life, he's going to definitely be surrounded by his kids more, probably going to have a lot more family time that he's had the last couple of years. So that's great for him. And I think he's going to do wonders for NBC. And don't be surprised that he may possibly, I'm not going to put a lot of weight into this. Don't be surprised down the road. If he ends up somewhere on a Sunday night football booth, 
I don't know if it's going to happen, yeah. but that could, that could be a possibility. So I'm definitely interested in what he's going to bring to the table in this, his, the afterlife of his playing career in the NFL, but as he transitions into a broadcaster for NBC. It's going to be a great journey for him, man. I mean, we, as, 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 as much as people make fun of Tony Romo, he has been an immense asset to the team out there and, and the booth and players like that, that just have amazing, incredible vision. People that just, that not only know the play that's coming, but know the, know the scheme of the defense, know where the blitz is going to come from. I mean, Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks of this era and all time. Mm-hmm. You're telling me him now sitting above watching plays develop. Is it going to have a similar, if not better repertoire? To call those games, I'm letting you know right now, any game he calls, I'm going to want to listen to, even if it's yeah. a shitty game, because I want to see how he transitions into that booth role. We all know that there are players that retire and go into the booth that just don't do very well. It's just not for them. You know, AKA Jason Witten, it, it's it, uh, one of the greatest tight ends of this era that, that you've ever seen, but it just, he sucks as a broadcaster and he was not very well. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's why he came out of retirement and now he's back in and he's coaching high school football, but it's just, to know that we're going to get insight and wisdom from one of the greatest to do it is, is, is almost exciting to me. Yep. And because it, it's a, it's a personal role of mine that I dream to be a broadcaster. It's, it's something I and highly anticipate and I can't wait to listen and just get, get his mindset. You know, like I would love to talk to Drew Brees and pick his brain to know, like, how do you know this? Or what do you see from this set to know that this is coming from this way? And I just know that he's going to take it and, and run with it. Mind you, I've hated Drew Brees for a long time. But, you know, any quarterback of his stature that slides into the broadcasting booth is something people need to look forward to. Like him, Peyton, Tom, like people like that, when they speak, you fucking listen. So I know he's excited to go into this new role. And I know that his family's finally happy that, you know, him and the four kids, dad is going to be home for the majority of the time. Yeah. And I even saw that little Instagram video that he put on his personal Instagram page and it may have looked a little bit staged, but you gotta you gotta feel happy for yeah yeah of course you gotta feel happy for his kids because now dad gets to be home pretty much most of the time now except when he has to go to work for NBC to do whatever broadcasting responsibilities he has for them. But do you think that he does something similar to what Tony Romo does by calling out the plays before they happen? I wouldn't put it past him. Are you kidding me? I know. Like I said, he's he's one of the best. Can you imagine he just sitting there like? Yeah, we got a blitz coming left side. It's going to be a check down to the running back. And he's going to break it away and go, what the yep. f- how do you how do people know that shit? Yep, tight ends lined up on the end. If they're bringing a blitz, he's going to basically just – he's going to pass block. He's basically going to chip who's ever on the outside or pass block. It just wa- just watch. It's it's going to – I think it's going to be something – I don't know if it's going to be to the extent of what Tony Romo was because Tony Romo was just calling out plays as they were not only happening but even before they the ball was snapped. So – like you said, don't put it past them. Absolutely not. I'm super excited for Drew to hit the booth. Not even kidding. But I do want to transition into one topic about basketball. And Kevin and I were kind of thinking about which topic to go over in the NBA. And the one that I'm going to talk about is Golden, Golden State and Steph. And we saw a little bit of frustration from Steph Curry the other day when I believe they were playing the Clippers and they were absolutely getting torched by LA and you saw Steph physically not not physically verbally frustrated with his teammates and it's unlike really anything that we've seen from Steph Curry throughout most of his career at this point simply because of the fact that Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors have been a very successful franchise and Steph Curry as a player the last five to six years so my question to you is is do you think that the NBA to a certain extent is giving Steph Curry and the Warriors what the Warriors and Steph gave to the league for multiple years while they were on their championship run. No, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Are you kidding? What it's, is it, is it Steph's fault that they drafted Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green? Is it Steph's fault that they had Monte Ellis as Steph was drafted? Is it Steph's fault that the GM had an attractive position to have the greatest player at the time and Kevin Durant come to the team? No. But I hate people that are trying to spin this on, well, Steph's getting karma because he dominated. What kind of bullshit is that? Like, are you kidding me? Like, the man is basically playing on a team alone because Wiseman's been hurt for some time. Draymond Green is one of the most inconsistent players in the NBA right now and can't keep his mouth shut. His running mate in Klay Thompson tore his Achilles 
and his ACL the season before Kevin Durant left to Brooklyn, which nobody feels bad about, but I'm just saying like, he's always had somebody around him and he's single-handedly carrying them to an above 500 record. Of course, he's going to be frustrated and agitated when somebody makes a stupid mistake. When your second best player is fucking Kelly Oubre, I would be pissed too because Kelly had a very slow start to the season and has picked it up. But if you got to literally rely on just Kelly Oubre to make shots or get open, I would assume it's frustrating. You have a lot of young players on that team. Obviously, James Wiseman is a top three, top four rookie in the league right now. Obviously, LaMelo Ball is leading that category right now. But in terms of this might be the greatest top three draft picks in the NBA history and in the history of the NBA, in my personal opinion, we'll get into that another day. It's just the fact that the significance of how well Anthony Edwards is playing, how well LaMelo Ball is playing, or excuse me, how well James Wiseman is playing when on the court, and then how wise uh, LaMelo Ball is playing is just incredible. But back to Steph, the man's averaging damn near 30. He's shooting over 40% from the damn field, or from the three-point line. He's shooting almost 50% from the field, and and he's frustrated. It's out of his character. It's out of pocket for him to be as upset and visibly, you know, angry as he was on the sideline. But can you blame him? He's used to, he's not used to perfection. He's used to having uh, great records. He's used to having a well-oiled machine team because he's played with the same group of guys basically his entire career. And when things don't go the way you expect or, you know, go the way that they've been going, of course, you're going to be upset. Who likes getting blown out on national TV? You know what I mean? Like who wants to get embarrassed, especially when you're home, like nonetheless, like it just, I don't think they were, they were home. Are you sure? They were on the road. They were in LA. So, you know, so retract the statement. Nobody wants to get blown out. So, of course, anybody's going to get upset. And I, I think people need to let that shit go. Those, the people that say that are the people that are salty because the Warriors busted their ass. I'm one of them. <laughs> I'm a Mavericks fan. Uh, yes, it happens. We, we got absolutely torched by them. I'm, I'm not saying that. I don't give a shit if they beat us or they lose. It, it's basketball. It has nothing. Karma doesn't exist in the league, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Just because they dominated for five or six years doesn't mean they're going to go on a stretch of losing for, for what? nine ten years the bulls won six times in michael's career kobe won five times kobe hit a big lull after Shaq left because he had scrubs around him but it's the point that's not karma that's a that's part of the business if people leave or if people don't want to resign or if you don't have the cap space because you're tied to one person that that's these are all different scenarios the warriors lost their second person and their rookie was hurt as well what do you want him to do average 50 People called him washed up two weeks into the season. He dropped 57 on us, Kyle. 57. <laughs> he had 48 and three quarters. Didn't he drop, 60, didn't he drop 62 like earlier in the season too? It, what the fuck do people want? Like, yes, he's he's allowed to be mad. Are you kidding me? If we were to zoom in on LeBron James's mentality or his like off the uh, 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 um, sideline antics to some of the shit he said to Ty Lu or to David Blatt, or maybe even Eric Spolscher, who is supposed to be or JR. Or J- it's just, it's the point. Players get mad. Players get frustrated, especially when you're the guy. Fuck yeah, you're going to be tight than some, when someone's sucking it up and you're, and you're dropping damn near 30 a game. It's like, bro, I can't do this by myself. I'm fucking tired. You know what I'm saying? Aisha out here making cooking books and telling me I'm never home to eat her shitty food, but y- y- y'all not playing. You're not doing your damn job. You know what I'm saying? So, I feel for him, and I disagree completely. I think he's definitely allowed to be pissed off for I think, a fact. I think any karma that – I mean, even if you were to say that, like, karma was real, anything that they had to deal with karma was last year when when Steph was hurt with his wrist. I mean, they had to bring in D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell was basically just like – That was a, a holdover. Rent. It was a holdover piece until – did Steph come back into, like, the latter part of the year? No, Steph was out for the majority of the season. He came back for like the last maybe I want to say two, three weeks just to get okay. you know reps. But they were so far out of it, it didn't yeah. matter. So when you look when you look at the Golden State Warriors, there's I believe that they're still a playoff team as it stands right now. Yeah, or they're they're they're, they're, a, they're, a, they're a game behind us. Okay, so we're twenty and seventeen. I think they're nineteen and seventeen. I think right now when you look at what Golden State is going through, I think just by and large, I think they just miss Clay. Man, if Clay had been yes. this year, I think it completely changes the entire dynamic of this team. And I don't even know if they signed even Kelly Oubre at that point because Kelly Oubre was probably just to the replacement for Clay after he tore his, his Achilles. So, yeah. But I'll tell you this, man. Look, these these role players and these secondary players 
for Golden State. They have to step up because it's a very rare sighting that you ever see Steph completely bewildered by the fact that his teammates are just unable to or unable to go out and perform just decent basketball. I mean, for Kelly Oubre, at the beginning of the year, he was cold. He's been a little bit better probably throughout the middle part of the year, but still needs to go up to another level. I just haven't seen that consistently from him. Andrew Wiggins has been a complete bust throughout most of his NBA career, and he's basically living it up to that same degree in Golden State. And look, I've gone on and on about Draymond and his antics and just his inability to keep his composure, especially when it comes to these late game situations. It's just it's almost just too much for Steph to just carry on his own because he's got to, he's got to basically carry most of the weight around for this team to even keep them viable for a playoff spot at this point. So Steph has been absolutely sensational this year, despite really having no help around him, so to speak outside of maybe James Wiseman, James Wiseman has been a solid piece so far in his rookie season when he's been healthy. I just, like you said, I don't know what else they can really expect from Steph. The only reason why I asked the question was because, look, people have been asking that question throughout most of this year, if not last year. And I think it's I think it's an unfair question to ask. I just only asked it just to see what you would say. But this man, Steph, is really probably in the top three, top four MVP race discussion at this point, simply because he is dragging this team on his own to get to the playoff. And honestly, it reminds me, it's very reminiscent of what Kobe was doing when he was with the Lakers in the year before he tore his Achilles, because he had to carry a Dwight Howard. He had to carry a Steve Nash who was at the end of his career and had to carry a lot of subpar. Mush Parker, Kwame Brown. I'm I'm talking about in 2013. There was a huge stretch from 2005 to 2007 where, yeah, he did that pretty much every game. But it's just like, do you think it's like it's almost too much pressure on Steph? I I think Steph is more than willing to get this team to the playoffs. But outside of that, the best they could probably get to is maybe the second round. And that's probably a little bit too much to ask for unless Steph goes out there and averages 40 points a game, which I mean, look, in some of the months that he's been playing in, he can get that or get very close to that as far as a point per game average. But Steph's going out there and doing exactly what he needs to do, and that's try to keep this team viable until Clay Thompson comes back next year. And we'll, I mean, did you see the report about Clay thinking about coming back probably within like the first couple of weeks of next season? I mean, he's got to play that smart, man. We already know the the significance of an Achilles injury. He just he's probably saying all that because he sees them suffering. At the end of the day, I don't think Clay's got final say. He'd like to be back by the beginning. But who knows, man? Kevin Durant did it, but still, I wouldn't rush that back, man. You can't, you can't afford to lose him again. Two years in a row is enough. The league yeah, needs Clay. Exactly, and Clay is such a viable. He's one of the best two-way players in the game. And oh yeah, I mean, without him, I mean, he's had some huge moments, especially in the playoffs. And without him, that team game is six Clay is real. Everybody, game yep. six Clay is real. Everyone <laughs> needs to be put on notice. Everybody, protect your Achilles, because man. They can go just like that. Speaking of Achilles, you did you saw the report of uh, Anthony Davis being pushed back probably another two or three weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, the the Los Angeles Lakers are going through pretty much the pits right now with the second ladder of the season, obviously in full swing and losing their second superstar for potentially another month. Um, they just paid out a big bag to him last season or this past off season. So you know that Anthony Davis is in this for the long haul in terms of being in LA. You can't afford to play your superstar or your megastar all that money to come back soon and then rupture his Achilles. We all know what happened with KD in the finals against Toronto, or should I say in the postseason that uh, the year he tore his Achilles against Toronto, but you, you can't afford to rush him back, man. He's got, he's got to take it slow. He's already been out. What did you say earlier? A month, right? You said he's already been out a month. That was before so, the All-Star break. So, I mean, you really got to take it, I would say. I, I was telling Kyle before the episode even started or before we even started recording that if I'm L.A., I'm holding him out to the playoffs. As stupid as that may sound to some people, we're talking about a man's career and his health 
And an Achilles injury immediately takes you out of commission for a year plus, especially if you get hurt in terms of a season. Um, especially if you get hurt at the end of the season, you, who knows how much time you're going to miss. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that you're fully strengthened, healed, and recovered. You can play contact. You, you know, the, the Achilles is completely recovered in terms of there, there's no risk of another rupture of immediate of immediacy or that's not even a word of you know of an immediate immediate rupture you you just got to take it i mean like i like a baby day by day by day by day there's no reason for the lakers to rush him back if the lakers rush him back it's only because they they go on a downslide in the western conference and they hit like the six or seven seat that's the only way i would see them potentially bringing him back on a minute restriction but as of right now, you're still a top three seed in the league. You know what I'm saying? You still have LeBron James on this team. The trade deadline is coming up relatively quickly. I think it's like, I want to say like almost two weeks away, maybe less. Uh, and the Lakers got to make a move, man. Uh, this whole Andre Drummond thing that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago is dragging out. I haven't really heard much, 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 uh, much of anything on that, on that front. The Lakers are really feeling the effect of losing JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard right about now because – We've talked about it a hundred times last year. They had a very well-rounded big man group. And this year it's just very, very, very depleted. Montrez Howell's playing amazing, but he is no AD. They still lose height. They still lose strength. Defensive presence too. Yes. So, I mean, we're talking about a a, a potential defensive player of the year when fully healthy. So this, this man just makes a very big difference. And I think that the Lakers need to take, treat this with kid gloves because yes, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's for another championship, but, you bring him back too soon, you lose him for the year, and then you lose him next year too. So you got to be really smart. Yeah, I think best case scenario for AD, I think he probably comes some sometime in, oh God, if I had to put a timetable on this, I'd probably say maybe the middle of April, maybe towards the end of April. Then that way you at least give him some regular season games to kind of get his legs back underneath him just to get his cardio back up. Because by then, I mean, you're almost talking about two and a half, damn near three months with him how without him playing game time minutes. So I think if they're able to integrate him maybe in a month from now towards, like I said, the, the middle or maybe or the latter part of April, I think it'll probably be best just to kind of get just really his rhythm back before they go into the playoffs. Cause they are going to need him in the playoffs. And I think, I think you're exactly right. The best case, the best thing that the Lakers could do right now is just hold AD on the shelf. If they, unless they start losing, if they really start taking a slide, then yeah, I could see them maybe, I won't say pressuring AD to get back on the court, but they're definitely going to say, it's like, look, we're going to need you to step up when you're ready to go. And as it stands right now, the, like you said, the Lakers are the third spot in the West. I think they'll be able to hold Pat. They may drop to the four, maybe the fifth at worst, but I think that they're going to be, they'll be okay but they're definitely going to need him for the playoffs because if he's not able to be back for the playoffs, yeah, then the Lakers championship shot for this year is pretty much out the window at that point. Yeah, no. I mean, Braun can carry a team. We all saw him, what he did in Cleveland to that championship with those scrubs that aren't Kyrie and Kate uh, and Kevin Love. But mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, he can't do it alone this late in his career without some form of help. So the Lakers either make a, a move at the trade deadline and, you know, make that, uh, that, that Drummond acquisition Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you rest AD and make sure he's healthy because you can't do one without the other, you know? Exactly. But with that said, you guys, it's pretty much all that we got on topic today. So, Kev, is there anything else that you wanted to hit before we decide to wrap this up? Oh, uh, not really. I mean, uh, I know I mentioned it the last two episodes, just to reiterate it again. Um, we have seen a little bit of a lull in terms of communication from the audience, you guys, of uh, wanting to be on the show. Uh, just to remind you, if you have not already subscribed, please subscribe. If you want to be on the episode, you got to subscribe and then you got to repost one of our videos, man. You got to repost on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, wherever you feel like it. Tag one of us or tag the podcast. Uh, you know, we really want to make sure that we're interacting with you guys as much as possible. So it is important for you guys to know that we are very genuine when we say we would love to have a guest. And, you know, just if you want to be on, let us know. And, uh, you know, just uh Keep doing what you guys are doing. We uh, appreciate all and any support, like we always say. Follow the Twitter, follow the Instagram. Uh, I'm pretty sure Kyle has been working tirelessly on, on making some some adjustments visually on the YouTube page. So appreciate you for doing a little bit of overtime. And uh, I, I can't wait to see what all of this looks like when the logo is all finalized and everything. Yeah, we'll, 
we'll definitely integrate some overlays on the YouTube videos. So then that way, at least kind of gives you guys a different look at what you guys see when it comes to our videos on a day in day out basis. But you know, that'll probably come within, I don't know, maybe two weeks or so. I think that'll probably come once the logo is finalized and we have that ready to rock and roll, but just to kind of give you guys a, uh, just some sort of update or just something to keep on the lookout for as we move into the later part of the week, we'll definitely keep an eye out for any NFL free, free agency news. We, I imagine Kevin and I will probably go over more free agency news on Thursday when we decide to drop our next episode. So we will definitely dive into that. Probably get into a little bit more NBA news if any decides to pop up and um, getting very close to the beginning of beginning of baseball. Like I mentioned in the last episode, yes, spring sir. training is in full swing, but it's going to be very quick where baseball comes back into fold. And we will definitely be talking about baseball as it gets closer to the beginning of the year. But with that said, you guys that are wrap it up on my end, like Kevin said, we definitely appreciate the support. Whether you were listening to this on Spotify, Apple podcast, or you're watching this on YouTube, we definitely appreciate it. Like I said, that'll pretty much wrap it up from my end. So thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you guys later. Later guys. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wannabet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wannabet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.